Matthew chapter 21, verses 6 through 9. Matthew 21, verses 6 through 9. I'll talk to you about a couple of things today and come at some stuff from maybe different ways that we thought before. But praise God, it's good. So Matthew 21, verses 6 through 9, says the disciples went and did just as Jesus had instructed them and brought the donkey and the colt and laid their coats on them, and he sat on the coats. And most of the crowd spread their coats on the, in the road, and others were cutting branches from the trees and spreading them in the road. And the crowds going ahead of him and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna! To the son of David, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Hallelujah. And we know we, we always call that the triumphal entry. And this is when Jesus has entered into Jerusalem. It was the most, one of the most dramatic events in the ministry of Jesus Christ. And he has come. This is the last three days of his earthly ministry. And he's entering into Jerusalem now. And he has not told anyone that he was the Messiah, except for the woman at Jacob's well, the Samaritan woman. Remember? In fact, he didn't really tell, except that he, she said, well, we have heard of. And he said, well, I am who you are talking to. So other than her, Jesus didn't tell anybody else that he was the chosen one of God that come to redeem man from their sins. Uh, only one other had the revelation. In fact, over to Matthew 16. There was only one other time that there was a revelation of this. I should say only one time there was a revelation of this. In Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 through 19. It says, And when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he was asking his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Well, some say John the Baptist. Well, you know, John the Baptist was beheaded. So they must believe in reincarnation. And others, Elijah. Well, Elijah never died. He was taken in the chariots. And still others say you're Jeremiah or one of the prophets. So again, they're thinking about what? What are they thinking of? Coming back from the, from the dead. Uh, so, but he said to them, but who do you say that I am? You know, a lot of people say a lot of things about a lot of stuff. But it all comes down to what do you say? What do you say? Do you say what the crowd says or do you say what you know to be truth? Okay, so we're hearing what all the people are saying, but what do you say about anything? We hear what those people are saying about healing, but what do you say? We hear what those people are saying about prosperity, but what do you say? We see what those people are saying about faith and believe in God, but what do you say? It always comes down to what you say because it's about a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. This is not about... As the crowd goes, we go. You know the old expression, wrong is wrong if everybody's doing it and right is right if nobody's doing it. So what do you say is what it all comes down to. So he says, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father which is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock, which is actually pebble, the word Peter is pebble, but upon this rock is the Greek word Petra, and the rock is the rock of revelation, the revelation that Jesus is Lord. That's the rock that the church is built on, not the pebble of Peter. But I say to you that you are Peter, little rock, pebble, but upon this rock, the Petros rock of revelation, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Give you who? Those that believe, those that have declared and have a revelation that Jesus is the Christ. You have the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth shall also be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So the things bound in heaven, you can bound it on the earth. You have the authority to do that because you have the keys. Whatever's been loosed in heaven, you can loose it on the earth because you have the authority, you have the keys. Hallelujah. Well, that didn't hurt you. 
So they were saying that people were saying, people were declaring that John the Baptist or one of the Old Testament prophets, that that's what people were saying about Jesus, that he was probably one of them. But then again, he asked, Peter, he asked them, who do you say? And Peter spoke up, you know, impetuous Peter. He spoke up. Well, he's the one that had the revelation. He's the one that walked on the water. Even if he only took a few steps, quit criticizing him. I don't think you ever took one. So, so Jesus told them that revelation came from the Father. You know, there were times that Jesus would cast the devil out of somebody or he'd be approaching somebody to cast the devil out, and that devil would speak up. We know who you are, the Holy One of Israel. Have you come to torment us before our time? And he'd say, shut up. He wouldn't let him say it. See, the devil knew who Jesus was. This is why he tempted Jesus in the wilderness and said, well, if you're really the son of God, I know you are, but do you really know? See, that's just like you. When you say you believe what the word of God says, the devil comes to say, do you really believe it? I see it, yeah. So he would tell the demons to be quiet. You're not going to, don't be talking about who I am. My time has not yet come. Remember he said that to his mother at the wedding of Canaan, when she said to them, they have no wine, he said, woman, my time has not yet come. Well, what was he saying? He was talking about the revelation of who he is. That time had not yet come. Amen. But on the day that he entered into Jerusalem, that time had come. Glory to God. Amen. So for three years of his life, from the River Jordan on till this point, for three years, he's worked himself from the countryside of Israel all the way into the city of Jerusalem. And he performed signs, wonders, miracles. He fulfilled all the Old Testament prophecies about him, about his life, and about his ministry. And he's now presenting himself to the multitudes as Messiah, the Redeemer. And he was in town now to be seen of the crowds. And for three days... He was to be examined before the crucifixion. John chapter 1, verse 29. Everything that Jesus did had significance. There's nothing that happened randomly. Everything was with purpose and on purpose. John 1, 29. This is when Jesus came to the Jordan and John the Baptist was baptizing. It says, the next day he, John, saw Jesus coming to him and said to the crowd, he says, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So John the Baptist calls Jesus the Lamb of God. But that's not just a title. It carried a great amount of prophetic significance when he called him the Lamb of God. Before a lamb could be sacrificed, it had to be examined. No imperfections were allowed in the lamb. The lamb had to be perfect. It had to be spotless in order to be qualified for the sacrifice. And it took three days of examination. So go to Exodus chapter 12. Let's look at these things. I'm not going to keep you long because I want to make some points and I want you to get this and get it into your heart. So Exodus 12, verses 3 through 6. It says, Speak to all the congregation of Israel, saying, On the tenth of this month, they are each one to take a lamb for themselves, according to their father's household, a lamb for each household. Now, if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his neighbor nearest to his house are to take one according to the number of persons in them, according to what each man should eat. You are to divide the lamb. Your lamb shall be an unblemished male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats. And you shall keep it until the 14th day of the same month. Then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel is to kill it at twilight. So on the 14th day is when you are to offer the lamb, right? But what did it say in verse 3? It said on the 10th of the month. So on the 10th of the month, you are to take hold of a lamb. You are to look at this lamb and examine it for three days. And on the 14th, you sacrifice it. 
So from the 10th to the 14th, from the 10th, you get it on the 10th, you got the 11th, 12th, 13th, and then on the 14th, you sacrifice it. Three days of looking at the lamb, examining it. And everyone had to do this. Didn't matter if you was a good guy or a bad guy. If you were rich, if you were poor, if you had large families, if you had small families, it didn't matter. Every family had to find the best possible lamb to offer for the sacrifice. And the lamb was observed for three days, starting on the 10th, slain on the 14th. Amen. Amen. And the lamb represents Jesus, who is our Passover lamb. Yes. Just like when the children of Israel were in Egypt, and it was the day that the death came through Egypt, about killing the firstborn. And they had to put the, the blood over their doorpost. And that blood preserved them from death. Isn't that right? And just like Jesus' blood, when you accept Jesus as Lord of your life, then that blood preserves you from an eternal destruction and spiritual death in hell. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Not based on you, but it's based on the sacrifice. So just like the children of Israel, they went from eating the Passover lamb on that day to crossing over the, to the Red Sea. So we accept Jesus as our Lord and our Savior, and we pass out of death and into life. We enter into eternal life, and our enemies that held us in bondage, just like the Israelites when they were in bondage and slavery in Egypt, the enemies that held us in bondage are drowned behind us as we get saved and come into the kingdom. The enemies are drowned behind us, just like Israel turned around and saw their whole Egyptian army drowned in the Red Sea. Amen. So that's for when it says that Jesus paralyzed the devil, he brought him to naught. He's dead on the shore. He's dead on the shore. Sickness is dead on the shore. Poverty is dead on the shore. Depression is dead on the shore. It's dead. Stop talking about what you're dealing with and start talking about what you're living in. You don't deal with that anymore. It's dead. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Amen. Hallelujah. And you need to get that into your thinking. Get it into your speaking. Get it into your mindset. And stop looking at it the way it used to be. It's dead. Yeah. Leviticus chapter 1. Verse 3. Leviticus chapter 1 verse 3. If his offering is a burnt offering from the herd, he shall offer it, a male without defect. He shall offer it at the doorway of the tent of meeting, that he may be accepted before the Lord. So the, the sacrifice was brought to the priest where it was examined again. And the owner had watched the sheep for three days and found no blemish in it. He now brings it to the tent, and the priest gives the final examination and approval of the lamb, to be used for the offering. Jesus was not only watched by the multitude for three years, he was tested by religious leaders and found to be without blemish, but he was also examined by God and approved for sacrifice. Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord Jesus. The person offered their sacrifice without coercion, of his own voluntary will, Salvation is never forced on anybody. Come on, just say Jesus. Come on, just, come on. Just. No, 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 no. That's coercion. That's dead head talk is all that is. But they said Jesus. Dead head talk. If it's not out from the heart. You can't coerce somebody. It's voluntary. We all have had to accept Jesus as our own Lord and Savior. Even God can't make you get saved. He gave you free will, and you have the right to choose. How many of you ever bought somebody because some high-pressure salesman twisted your arm? Come on, raise your hand. Don't be ashamed. You know you have. Everybody has. You bought something. You tried some drugs. You tried something that you knew you shouldn't try. You got involved in stuff because somebody pressured you. That's coercion. And that pressure will never get anybody saved. 
The gospel is for whoever will believe. Isn't that right? Well, in the same way, when we bring an offering to the Lord, it is to be of our own free will. I had a man come to me one time. He goes, I don't believe in tithing. You think I ought to tithe? I said, you don't believe it? He said, no. I said, then don't tithe. Simple answer. I realize that by what you're asking me, you're trying to get out of it, but you're already out of it because your attitude stinks. Yeah. <laughs> I said, if you don't believe in tithing, then don't tithe. If I said, yeah, you need to tithe, then he may have started tithing out of coercion. Yeah. That would have been wrong. Deadhead works. Are you with me? I've had people say to me, I'd share with people about prosperity. They say, I don't believe in that prosperity. I'm like, fine. It's fine with me. Yeah. Well, I don't believe in that here. Uh, you know, a woman, she had rheumatoid arthritis. And, and I mentioned to her that I knew somebody had rheumatoid arthritis and she don't have it anymore. And she's going, we're going on and on and on. Well, what do you mean she don't have it anymore? Once you get it, you can't get rid of it. I mean, this is bad stuff. You know, what do you mean she got rid of it? I said, well, she used to have it and she don't have it anymore. She, what did she do to get rid of that? I said, well, she learned to believe Jesus for her healing. And she went, ah. And she walked away with her rheumatoid arthritis. You want it? You got it. Keep it. You want lack? Keep it. You want sickness? Keep it. You want depression? Keep it. Or you could get off of the seashore and get over into life. Get away from the dead and get into the living. Amen. Amen. Glory to God. When a person offered a sacrifice, he says here, you'll offer it at the doorway of the tent. Well, why at the doorway? Because that's where God promised to meet them. They couldn't go into the tent, but God would meet them at the door of the tent. You bring your sacrifice to the doorway, I'll meet you there. Where the offering was made, God met man. The cross of Jesus is where God and man meet. You can't meet God unless you go to that cross. Now, you don't have to live at that cross. You get past the cross and get over into the resurrection. But you got to come to that cross. And you have to accept and realize Jesus paid the price for your sin and accept him as Lord and Savior. Isn't that right? Because that's where God meets man. Because on our own, we can never approach God. Sinful man can never approach God. A righteous God can never meet with sinful man. Jesus on that cross, he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Well, God forsook him because at that point he took on the sin of the world. And God can't have anything to do with sin. And God turned his back on Jesus because he had to turn his back on sin. Amen. See, there's something that has to stand between unrighteous man and a righteous God. And that is the sacrifice. And that's Jesus. He unites God and man. And that's why it says that in him we have peace. Isn't that right? Deuteronomy 15, 21. Hallelujah. Deuteronomy 15, 21. Talking about the, the lamb. But if it has any defect, such as lameness or blindness or any serious defect, you shall not sacrifice it to the Lord your God. And any offering that had any kind of blemish on it was absolutely forbidden by God. It should not only be repulsive to God, but it should be repulsive to the one bringing the offering. Well, you'd say, why? Because the offering represented what the person wanted to become. Do you want to become sick? Uh, That's a question. Do you want to become sick? then why would you offer a sick sacrifice? Do you want to become lame? Then why would you offer a lame sacrifice? Do you want to be blind? Why would you offer a blind sacrifice? Because the sacrifice was representing what the person wanted to be. Jesus was, the only, was, was not only a perfect sacrifice for God, but he was also a perfect sacrifice for us. Jesus is everything we desire to be. Now, before I got saved 42 years ago, 
and I was a sinner, and I'm living out, doing, running the streets and doing all kinds of stuff that the Bible said you shouldn't be doing. <laughs> and just living in that whole lifestyle, Jesus was still everything that I wanted to be. I was just too messed up in my head to realize it. I thought I was living good. I thought I was doing just fine. I thought we were getting by, glory to God. You know, well, there was no glory to God about it. <laughs> you know, but I thought everything, you know, we had all our ducks in a row. But then one day, <clears throat> the devil loaded up his rifle and had a duck shoot on my life. And all those ducks that I thought I had in a row, they're going boom, boom, boom. They're all going, all going down. And it wasn't until I got saved that I realized, dear God, this is what I've been looking for all my life and never even realized I was looking for anything. Because it's inbred inside of each and every person. But we don't know it until we actually come in contact with the one that's paid our price. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Jesus, the perfect sacrifice for God, the perfect sacrifice for us. He, Jesus is everything we desire to be. Yes. He's spotless with regard to sin and sickness. So we can be whole, spirit, soul, and body. Only a spotless animal could take the sins of the congregation. Only a spotless redeemer could take the sins and iniquities of the world. Thank God for Jesus. Thank God for the spotless offering. You know, I understand that the Bible says that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. But it ain't your blood. Your blood has sin in it. It's the spotless, sinless blood of Jesus. That without partaking of that sacrifice, there is no forgiveness of sin. Doesn't matter how good you try to be. I keep to the golden rule. I'm good to others like I want them to be good to me. I'm kind to people. I help people. I do all this stuff. That doesn't matter. None of it matters. It's just unrighteous works. It's called filthy rags. Because the only thing that saves is being washed in the blood of Jesus. Hallelujah. And you don't have to take a physical bath in it. It's just an acceptance of Jesus in your life and he will wash you clean. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Matthew chapter 3. I told you I'm not going to keep you long today. Matthew chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. It says, After being baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending as a dove and lighting on him. And what does the next verse say? And behold, a voice out of the heavens said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. So Jesus came into the world to be examined by Father. First of all, Father examined him for 30 years of Jesus' life. And Jesus had proved himself to his heavenly Father. This isn't like, uh, well, you know, this is my beloved son. I'm well pleased because I sent him down to you. Oh, no. No, 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 no. Not at all. He sent Jesus down, and for 30 years of his life, he had to prove himself before the Father. He told his parents, didn't you know I have to be about my father's business? He had to prove himself to the Father. And after 30 years of living sinless in the years of obscurity... The father says in open air, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Are you with me? Jesus at that point had the spotless stamp of approval from heaven. If you remember what we saw in the Old Testament, every head of the household had to provide the lamb. Father is providing the lamb. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So after he received that approval, spotless approval from heaven, now Jesus has to be examined by the people. And he would be closely watched by the multitudes for the next three years. And his approval by men would come 
as he enters into the city of Jerusalem riding on the donkey. And the people would cry out, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. The King Messiah enters into the holy city as an offering for us all. Amen. Hallelujah. So when it comes to offerings to God, he expects it to be spotless and he expects it to be without blemish. Now, we're not offering up lambs, sheep, goats, but our substance that we offer up is financial. Isn't that right? Father expects that in our giving, our motives are pure. He expects that our agenda to be simple and our character to be holy. He expects that our giving would be without coercion, ungrudgingly, to be cheerful and joyful in our giving. That our giving would be an attitude of honor, an agenda that is without underlying hidden motives, and that it would be in a character of love. Because Jesus don't watch what we give. He watches how. And that's what the unblemished lamb was all about. It wasn't about what as far as the lamb, but it's how. How is it? Is it unblemished? Is it spotless? That's the how. Are you with me? Is our giving gold, silver, and precious stones? Well, what about our serving? You might serve in the body here. You know, what about our serving here? Do we serve full of the word, full of wisdom, and full of the spirit? Just like it was expected of Stephen to serve fried chicken to the uh, widows in, in the mess hall in the, in the early church in Acts chapter 6. In order to serve chicken. Whatever it was, they were serving, whatever, you know, the food they were serving. You had to have wisdom, you had to be full of the Spirit, and you had to be full of the Word to serve in the mess hall. Why? Because you're among people. And people need the wisdom of God, the Word of God, and the Spirit of God. They don't need some warm body just serving chicken. Now, if you're in an area to where there isn't any, uh, 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 connection with people okay just for instance in the media their connection is with computers but they're not out among the people but if you're an usher if you're a door greeter if you're a children's worker you are among people and therefore it's expected that you do it full of the word full of wisdom, and full of the Spirit. And if you have to get up two hours early to get to that place before you get here, I suggest you do it. Otherwise, it's nothing but wood, hay, and straw, and you're wasting your time because everything you're doing is burning up. Don't shout me down. God's looking for spotless, blameless, and without blemish. That's the kind of sacrifice he wants. He says, let us draw near to hear rather than offer the sacrifice of a fool. See, the fool is the one that brings just any old thing, one that's blemished, one that's got all kinds of spots on it. See, how are we doing things? Are we in the kingdom or are we not? Are we children of the most high God or are we not? Are we acting like it or are we not? Are we functioning like it or are we not? Are we operating like it or are we not? Somebody walks in that door and they got all kinds of junk on them. They don't need some happy, big teeth, smiling person. Oh, hi, we're so glad you could be here. They don't need that. They need the anointing. And the anointing's not going to get loosed unless you're full of the word, full of the spirit, and full of wisdom. Are you with me? So it doesn't matter if we're giving of finances, if we're giving of our time, whatever it might be that we're giving. Are we drawing near to serve our God or are we just drawing near to offer the sacrifice of a fool? Why is it a sacrifice of a fool? Because it's not producing anything for you. Somebody could spend 20 years serving God and it all be the sacrifice of a fool, wood, hay, and straw, and get no return or rewards for it. 
But are you full of the word? Full of the spirit? Full of wisdom? Full. Full. Not a little drip every so often. Not because you can say the right thing. That means nothing. It means nothing. Anybody could say the right thing. Anybody could get in that word, memorize some stuff, and be a good orator. It means nothing. Life. Life. What is life giving? People that are hurting need life giving. Amen. Are you with me? Started a long time ago when Jesus said about sacrifices. He told us what kind of sacrifices are acceptable. Amen. Jesus is our Passover lamb. Not only is he the Passover lamb, the lamb of God from the days of Egypt when they left, I mean the days of when Israel left Egypt, but he's also fulfilled the laws of atonement. Because he had to fulfill all the Old Testament laws, didn't he? Yes. He fulfilled the laws of atonement. Well, how do you know that the laws of atonement have been fulfilled? Because you don't have to do what you had to do before in the Old Testament. He fulfilled it. He was examined by his father for 30 years. And then examined by the people for three years. He was announced to be without spot or blemish. There is nobody in the Bible... That the father ever said, this is so-and-so with whom I am well-pleased. Because everybody else had spots and blemishes. Jesus fulfilled the type of the Old Testament lamb offered before the priest. And after examining the offering for three days, the person brought the offering to the priest to be examined. So the person examined the offering to see if it was without blemish without defect. And then the priest examined the offering to see if it was without blemish and without spot. The priest did not examine the person. He didn't examine the person. He examined the offering. And people have a very hard time with this because just, I'm just going to use this as an example. Somebody that might be in the LBGQ, whatever those initials are, LBGTP, I don't know, ABCD, I don't know. But if they're in that community, they think because we're against that lifestyle that we don't like them, that we hate them. That's not true. Because people don't know how to separate a person from an action. And this is why when I was a rank sinner, on my way to hell, feeding the freight train with as much coal as I could. God still loved me. See, he still loved me. Because he could separate me from that stuff. Now, that doesn't mean that if I didn't turn to Jesus, that I'm still going to heaven because he loved me. That's not true. He loved you enough to provide what you need so you can get out of where you're at and get set free. That's how much he loves you. No matter where, you, no matter how deep a sin lifestyle you might be in, the grace of God abounds even more. Isn't that right? Amen. Amen. So the person examined the offering. The priest examined the offering, but they did not, the priest did not examine the person. So when you come to God with a hard attitude of repentance, he forgives us. If we come as a sinner and we come for salvation, or as a believer, for the forgiveness of sin. God don't examine you. What does he examine? The offering. Who's the offering? Jesus is the offering. God declares, Jesus is spotless, therefore you are spotless. When you come to God as a sinner, when I came to God for the first time as a sinner and I came and accepted and I said, Jesus, I receive you into my life. God looked at that offering that I have come now. He's looked at that offering and said, the offering spotless, therefore you're spotless. He didn't examine me. He examines the offering. God declares Jesus spotless. He declares us spotless because we're the ones seeking the forgiveness. 
And we're seeking to be spotless, and he declares you're spotless. If you're a believer and you sin and you confess your sin, he's faithful and just to forgive you of your sin. Why? Because the blood of Jesus has washed you clean. And he washes you clean of all unrighteousness. Therefore, when you confess your known sins, he'll even wash you clean of the unknown sins and make you spotless again. Because that's what the offering is all about. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord Jesus. So when the devourer comes to attack your life, God's not examining you. He's examining your tithe. Because that's your offering. Well, what is he examining? Is it spotless? Is it without blemish? What's your attitude? What's your agenda? What's your character in giving? Because Jesus watches how you give. He's looking at those things that nobody else sees. He's looking at all those things that you want to hide from the world. He looks at all those things that you want to tuck away and think nobody else sees it, but God sees it all. And you can act high and mighty and pious and all this other stuff and think, well, I don't know why things aren't working for me because God knows what's on the inside. Maybe you're in a situation you think, man, I really need to be, have my bonds filled up. I, I need some excess here. Well, what's he going to look at? What offering? First fruit offering. He's going to be looking at first fruit. He's going to look at how you gave that. Did you give it with honor? Because the Bible says, honor the Lord with the first of all of your produce. Are you honoring God in your first fruits? Or are you like, oh, I better give this to God, you know, I don't know. See, he wants to know your agenda, your attitude. He's watching how we give. Are you giving with a heart of, oh, I'm giving him the first one because there's a bunch more coming. That's right. So I'll be glad to give him the first one. Thank you, Jesus, for all that's coming behind. See, are you giving with a heart of thankfulness? Are you giving with a heart of honor? That's what he's looking at. Right. You know, is there a loan that God needs to repay? Well, not if you gave alms to be noticed. Not if you gave alms and you want to brag about it. Not if you gave alms and you let other people know, well, this is what I did. Well, you have your reward in full is what Jesus said. Maybe you gave to somebody and you went and talked about them. And even though they don't know it, you've hurt their dignity. That's all wrong in our giving. So now that means there is no loan to be repaid because there's no loan that's been made. You need a harvest in your life? What's God looking at? The sowing of the seed. Did you sow the seed God gave you to plant? Or did you say, oh, I could use this for whatever? Did you purpose in your heart? To sow seed into anointed field of the kingdom. God's looking at the offering. Are you sowing with joy? Are you a cheerful giver? Are you sowing on purpose and with purpose? And of course, where is our faith in our giving? Or do we just drop a buck in the bucket when the bucket comes by? See, where's our faith? Run over to Hebrews 10, 23. Hebrews 10, 23. Let us hold fast the confession or profession of our hope and our faith without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Hold fast to the confession. You know, some people feel funny <clears throat> talking to themselves even under their breath. But yet it's only when it comes to the Word of God. Yeah. I guarantee you, if anybody gets offended in here today, you'll be mumbling all the way out the door. <laughs> guarantee you. You have no problem mumbling. You know how to talk to yourself. You do it all the time. You do it regularly. 
The problem is, is you only do it out of emotional reaction. And you let your emotions lead you by the nose. Are you with me? Speaking on purpose is not an emotional reaction. It's a choice. It's a choice you make out from your spirit, right? And then you make the soul line up with the choice that you've made. And then you have your body act on it with your mouth. Now, you don't have to say it. I mean, I, <laughs> you remember this, Pastor Morgan. Somebody what we knew years ago, I mean years ago, they'd be in the house maybe working or something, and you'd hear them talking, and you'd walk in like, are you talking to me? Are you calling me? No, they're just continually talking to themselves all the time. And it was rather, it was funny. But you never heard the word come out of their mouth. Never. Are you with me? See, we know how to do this. You just have to choose to do it. But I feel funny. Oh, stop it with your stupid self. That's stupid. That is so stupid. I've offended you now, and you're going to be mumbling all the way out the door about that <laughs> statement. The word in action. It's absolutely ridiculous. I feel funny. But you do it all, all the time. Anybody ever cut you off on the road? Nobody else is in your car, but you're talking. You hit your finger with a hammer, you're talking. <laughs> we know how to do this stuff. We've just let the devil talk us out of doing it with the word. Well, I don't see why I have to do that. Well, why do you have to mumble? Why do you have to grumble? Why do you have to do that stuff? Are you with me? Confession is very simple. It means to say the same thing. Say what God says. Don't say your ideas or what you think. Say what God says. If God says that he sent this word to heal me and deliver me from my destructions, that's what I say. Amen. That's what I say. I say what the word says. The word says there's one that gives and he'll increase all the more. That's what I say. That's what the word says. I say the same thing. Amen. Amen. Matthew 6, 31. It says, do not worry then, saying, what will we eat, or what will we drink, or what will we wear for clothing? Do not worry then, saying. Do not worry then, saying. So you take worry by saying. If I can take worry by saying, then I can take faith to myself by saying. It's called confession. With the heart, man believes unto righteousness, but with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation, healing, wholeness, preservation, right. uh, abundance, soundness of mind. Out the mouth, what you believe, what the Word of God says, and the salvation that He's provided for you in every area and every aspect of life. You say it, say it out of your mouth. You don't need to say it so everybody can hear it. You say it so you hear it. That's right. so all that needs to hear it is you. You just say it to yourself. On a regular basis. So if I could take worry by speaking, I can take faith by speaking. Amen. And this is why we say, when you give in an offering, don't just drop something in the bucket. Add the word of God to what you're doing. It's the word of God that makes the difference. Are you with me? I need to speak what the word of God says with my offering. As God says it. Oh, but I can't remember. Then open your Bible and read it. This is not hard. Well, I don't have a Bible. Then turn on your device. Download a free app and read it. Amen. Declare the purpose of your giving. If it's a tithe, declare what the Word of God says. I bring the tithe into the storehouse. I do not rob God because I bring tithes into the storehouse. And he'll open up the windows of heaven for me. And he'll rebuke the devourer for my sake. And the vine in the field will not cast its grapes before its time. And that's what you say as you're bringing your tithe into the storehouse. What about first fruit offering? 
I have a first fruit offering. I'm honoring God with the first of what's being produced. And I'm thankful to him for what he's done and doing for me. What about almsgiving? I'm giving this to help out this person, and it's an almsgiving, and I'm glad to do it. Lord, I thank you that you put it on my heart, or I just purpose to do it to help them. But you said that if I lend to the, to, to the poor, I'm lending to you. If I give to the poor, I'm lending to the Lord, so therefore you will repay me. You said that. Thank you for it. Thank you for the opportunity, and thank you that you'll repay the loan. Amen. What about seed sowing? You know, I'm sowing seed. Therefore, I'm going to be one that increases all the more. Because every seed is going to bring a harvest. As long as the earth remains, seed time and harvest shall not cease. Isn't that right? And I honor God with my giving, and I thank him for the return. Because everything you do with God, your actions barely mean anything. It is all about what's in you. Your attitude, your agenda, your motives. That's all part of giving. It's not just an action of giving. It's attitude, agendas, and motives all on the inside of us. That's what's going to make the offering with or without blemish. Thank God that he offered up a spotless offering for us and gave us an example that he even held to his own word about spotless sacrifice. Well, he examines our offerings too and how we give. This is operating in the concepts and principles of the word about all manner of giving. All manner of giving. This will operate in everything. That your tithe, your first fruit offering, your almsgiving, and your seed sowing is all without blemish, spotless. Correct agendas, correct attitudes, correct motives, declaring exactly what the Word of God says in your giving. Yes, amen. amen. Look in Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6 and verse 38. It says, give and it will be given to you. They will pour into your lap a good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over, for by your standard of measure... It will be measured to you in return. Give. So, plant, and it's going to be given back to you. It's coming back to you in a good measure. It's going to be pressed down, shaken together, running over, that you're going to receive more than what you're giving. But how are you to give? It says, by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you in return. Mm -hmm. Now, we know that the measure can increase numerically right but the increase has to first increase it has to happen inside of us that there's one that has received the word and it was sown into good soil and it will bear fruit and it will bring forth 30 60 and 100 fold so by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you in return. So it's not just a matter that you say, well, my measure is a hundredfold return. Well, it's not if you don't believe it. I mean, I realize we all want that. But there's a big difference between what I want and what I believe. <clears throat> How do you know what you believe? Carry around a tape recorder and see what comes out of your mouth all day. Carry around a video camera and videotape all your deeds, everything you do all day. You'll know what you believe because what you believe comes out with what you say and what you do. Yeah. comes out in choices yeah. and manner of speech. So, by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you in return. Is your giving spotless? Is your giving got some blemishes in it? Is your giving got maybe a little bit of a wrong attitude? Is your giving got a hidden agenda attached to it? All those things are important. And this is why the Bible says every man must be careful about how he builds upon the foundation. 
It's either going to be gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, and straw. I'm sure we're going to have some of each. But the more gold, silver, precious stones you have, the better it's going to be. So whatever wood, hay, and straw that there is, I say let it burn up now. Let it burn up now so that I can get the correct things on the foundation and step into eternity in a greater manner, in a greater way. Can you say amen? Amen. amen. Hallelujah. Well, let's just bless the Lord. We bless you, Lord God. We give you all the glory, all the honor, and all the praise. Lord, we thank you that you're more than enough. Father, I thank you that you have laid out for us from the beginning of the days of man about offerings and how offerings should be brought to you. Thank you, Lord, that we can honor you in our giving, that we can bring to you, Father, things that are spotless and without blemish. Father, I thank you that by your spirit, through your word, you can help us to move things out of the way that's causing any blemishes and any spots. You said, Lord, about removing spots and wrinkles out of our life and it is only by your Holy Spirit and by the revelation that comes from your Holy Spirit as we spend time with him that we can move these things out of our life so that our giving becomes more as you give, spotless and without blemish. And Lord, I just thank you. Thank you, Lord, that that 30, 60, 100-fold increase continues to grow on the inside of us as faith continues to grow because it is by holding fast to our confession that we take faith to ourselves. It will grow. It will increase, Father. It will edify. It will build up, and it will encourage and strengthen us, Father. Father, I thank you for that, that you watch over every seed that we sow. You watch over everything that we ever do. You watch over every word that we ever speak. And I thank you, Father, that we continue to line up more and more and more with your divine nature and conforming to the great spotless sacrifice of Jesus Christ in our life. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. So if you need an envelope for credit card or cash giving, it's on the seat back in front of you. If you're giving by check, just make it out to New Life. Thanks for joining us online, on live stream, podcast, wherever you may be. I just thank you that you have joined together with us. Uh, I think uh, I, I saw the note from New Hampshire you were on. And from Mississippi that you were there. So thanks for joining with us. And if there's anything we can pray with you about, please let us know. Uh, we're all standing and believing God for certain things. And we want to stand together in that corporate anointing for your needs to be met. If you'd like to sow seed into the ministry, do so on our website, newlifefamilyworship.net. And click on the giving link. And let your giving grow to the point to where it is spotless and without blemish. And you will see magnificent things start to take place in your life. Amen.